Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of the Commercial Connection Podcast, where we hope to connect you to commercial real estate. I am your host, Spencer Taylor, with Mill Creek Commercial. I am thrilled at what this show is going to bring to you today. We have, as a guest, Scott Saunders. He is a QI and Senior Vice President with Asset Preservation, Inc. He is also the president of FEA. Their website is 1031.org. We're going to learn a lot about what FEA is, who they are, and what they do. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Hey, Spencer. Thank you. It's really great to share this with you. Thanks so much. Before we dive into what you do and, and what you're trying to do with the FEA organization, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, family, hobbies, interests, you know, that sort of thing. Sure, happy to do that. Well, I'm, I live here in Colorado, which uh, means I'm, I'm probably uh, enjoy the outdoors a lot in the uh, winter. I enjoy snow skiing. Um, summer, I enjoy going out hiking and fishing. I've got um, three kids. So two of them are out in college and one's in high school. And uh, this last weekend, I just went out snowshoeing with my two daughters up in uh, Crested Butte in Gothic. So just enjoy getting outside and doing that. And um, have a couple pets, have two um, older yellow labs. They're kind of senior citizens now. <laughs> <laughs> so are you a Buffs fan or a Rams fan? I think we all want to know. You know, my son's, uh, he goes, he's a Rams fan. It's where he goes to school, so I have to be a Rams fan. <laughs> and what part of Colorado are you in? I'm in Monument, so kind of um, right off of I-25, about 40 minutes south of Denver and about 20 minutes north of Colorado Springs. So a lot of country, a lot of country down that, in that part of the world. A lot of open, open fields, hiking, camping, right? Yeah, you got it. In fact, um, my office is in uh, a little town called Palmer Lake, which is set up right next to uh, right next to the hills. And in five minutes, I can be hiking in, in Pike National Forest. So it's it's really neat. So, Scott, I don't know if you know this. I grew up in Denver. Oh, OK. Didn't know that. I, I, I had the impression you were out in California for some reason, but I, I grew up in Littleton. Yeah. Oh, Littleton. OK. Littleton's not that far. You know why California, our company is based in California. So I bet you when we were calling on the phone, you'd see a 916 prefix, yeah. which is Sacramento. That's where our company's based is right outside of Sacramento. So well, that's uh, cool. real close by, real close. So Scott, tell us what what is the FEA? It stands for Federation of Exchange Accommodators. What, what do you guys do over there at FEA? Hey, great question. Um, so the FEA are kind of the initials we're known by, and Federation of Exchange Accommodators is the name that was picked up. In fact, we just had our uh, 30th anniversary as an organization, so we've been around quite a long time. The origins of the Federation of Exchange Accommodators, it really started when exchanges were a little more common out in California and the West Coast. It was, that's, what, that's kind of how the market evolved a long, long time ago. And kind of a, a, an association of companies that facilitated exchanges. So when you hear the name accommodator, what we now call a QI or a qualified intermediary, sometimes you hear they're referred to as an accommodator, a facilitator, QI, intermediary. You know, those are all kind of synonymous terms. The, the IRS calls us a qualified intermediary. And we go by the abbreviation QI. The association 
um, consists of really of companies that are qualified intermediaries. And then we also have um, affiliates that are associated with this. I think when we look at our, our qualified intermediaries right now, we've got um, close to 115 different companies around the country that do that. We've got, I believe right today, right around 38 affiliate members. So those would be uh, financial institution, banks, companies like yourself that offer we, property. We love being an affiliate of the FEA. I'm just, I just need to put that out there. Like we have felt so welcome there and it, you guys just run an, an amazing organization. So we're happy to be a, a partner with you. Uh, love, yeah, you know what? We love hearing that. I mean, obviously we want to have a partnership where it's good on all sides. When we look at what the FEA does, you know, when we were founded, it was really a looser knit. Now we've got companies all over the country. And, and what we do is really try and have a lot of best practices and standards for members. Uh, we do a lot of education on different issues. We had uh, an issue recently with the Franchise Tax Board out in California, kind of with a holding issue, mm -hmm. and a whole bunch of member companies on a webinar with that, and we we're able to bring people in from the state to talk to us. So it's a great way for people to be connected in with really the latest education, things that we need to know. So that was a regional issue out in California, but we do training um, on aspects of exchanging. Uh, we bring in experts, the best real estate and tax attorneys and people with tax and legal backgrounds to talk about some of these complex issues. Um, as an organization, we've got a, a group that you may or may not have heard of, a designation called um, CES designation. Have you yeah. heard of that at all? Uh, oh yeah. Okay, so that, that was something that was put in place years ago, but what it's neat is it takes somebody that maybe isn't an attorney or a CPA, and if they meet some fairly stringent tests. They have to go through some certification and testing to really have a fairly high bar of knowledge. If they hit that, they get the designation. And so that was put in place a number of years ago to really help differentiate. So when somebody's a consumer, they know, wow, I'm dealing with somebody that's got that background and that training. Maybe they're not an attorney or maybe not a CPA, but yet they've got that background on Section 1031. So you know, that designation is, is kind of vital to, for differentiation. So can, can I pick your brain about the, the uh, CES designation? The, it sure. stands for Certified Exchange Specialist, right? Yes, it does. Exactly. So when you look at different industries from cosmetology to attorneys to, I don't know, a, a realtor, you know, they, they all have to be licensed. Correct? Correct. And usually they're licensed in their state or some, sometimes they're licensed federally. Is there any federal or state licensing with being a QI? Like, like, like if you want, like in hairdress in a cosmetology, if you want to cut someone's hair, you have to have a license. Right. Is that right. the same case with a QI? It's not great question there. So at a federal level nationally, there's no oversight body federally. So we're not under necessarily the, the SEC or banking or commerce. There's nobody federally that watches over or polices qualified intermediaries. Now, we do have some states, and there's a handful of them, that have what we call consumer protection laws. Mm -hmm. In fact, the, the FEA has worked with a lot of these states to kind of 
provide some input and some guidance to have some good consumer protection laws. So, and I, and I'm, I, forgive me, I'll probably miss a state, but the state that you and I are, are at, uh, Colorado, uh, we've got that. Uh, Nevada, California, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, um, Virginia, Connecticut. Now, I might have missed one there. Yeah. But, you know, but if you look at it, there's a handful of states that have state-level consumer protection. But to answer your question directly, there's no licensing federally or there's no licensing at a state level. So, so the FEA kind of takes on this responsibility of, of saying, look, we recognize there's no like national certification or, 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 or something like that. So we're going to create, we're going to create this designation. It's, it's almost the equivalent of like, uh, um, like what a CPA would get that, you know, they're, they're, they meet the criteria to practice CPA. Tell us a little bit about what is required for someone to obtain this designation of, of a CES certified exchange specialist. What do they have to do? What's the requirement? Do you know, do they have to, is it like, do they have to give like some sort of dissertation? You know, right. How, well, what, what do they have to do to get this? Yeah, good, great, great question. Um, they've got to really understand the 1031 rules, the regulations, uh, the applicable tax court decisions, revenue rulings, and they go through a very stringent testing to do that. And not only do they have a testing one time, but there are continuing education requirements where they have to regularly keep up their education. So when you think of this, and, and maybe what I want to do is differentiate, you've got the CES designation, which goes to an individual. So people's, people get the designation. Mm -hmm. And that would be something that I think establishes a level of um, expertise um, and that you know you're dealing with somebody that knows the code and has that. On the other side, you've got what the FEA does as an organization. And so we've got something that's really important. We've got a code of ethics that all members have to adhere to. So we've got things in that code of ethics regarding the management of the funds, super important. Yeah. That funds have to, cannot be commingled, that we've got separate accounts set aside for each taxpayer anybody that's a member and we've got all, a lot more in that code of ethics than just that but dealing with the management of the funds i mean as you might imagine probably one of the critical issues is you've got the knowledge of the process but at the end of the day as a qualified intermediary we hold money on behalf of people doing exchanges so the safe management of those proceeds having really best practices in place regarding how we're going to hold those how that money's made available is really, really important. So anybody that joins the FEA um, has to adhere to that code of ethics. And that's something that we take very, very seriously. It's something that's really important. So, and how long does someone need to be practicing their QI craftsmanship before they can, they can get that designation of CES? Um, that one I don't actually know offhand the time period. It, it's a certain amount of experience. I don't have that. You, you, asked, me a, you asked me a question. I don't the answer. So <laughs> I thought it was five years. I thought it was five years. Practicing. I believe it. I believe it's five. I believe it's five years. Which you know to me is like you're getting someone with experience. Right. They get great training. You know they. You know all these best practices. I mean I just, I just think that's critical. You know. 
anyone can be a QI, right? I mean, can, can, can my mother be a QI for her neighbor down the street? Sure. So what you said is true. Anyone <laughs> can be a QI, right? Which, when you think yeah. about it, I mean, yes. And so knowing that the person in the company, I, I guess two things, probably the company you're dealing with regarding security funds and then the person you're getting input from has that competence. It's so critical. And that, that's why we've got both that CES designation for individuals that have experience and, and have enough seasoning and track record that they've really studied the code and they know it inside and out and they've got that competence. And then you've got on the other side, the company that manages funds in a, you know, to a prudent investment standard and keeps the, keeps the funds separate from one taxpayer to the next and the next. So critical in our business. So my father is a small real estate mogul. I'm going to say that. I'm going to say that because I love him. He, he <laughs> owns about 10 rentals. He, he's worked up, uh, you know, he's an optometrist by trade. Uh -huh. Over the years, he just, I, I think he's more opportunistic. Like, hey, you know, a, a rental, a possible rental kind of falls into his lap. He's ready to buy. It's a great price. And, you know, he, he might be considered like the accidental landlord, right? Like he, he didn't grow up thinking, oh, you know, I want to be a landlord when I grow up. Right. And just probably two years ago, I asked him, well, you know, dad, what are, what are your plans for a 1031 exchange? Right. And he's owned, mm -hmm. he's owned real estate for, you know, probably, probably since I was, in sixth, fifth or sixth grade, you know. Wow, okay, long time. 25 years ago, long time, long time. Right. And I, you know, I asked him, what's, what are your plans for a 1031 exchange? He goes, what's that? Wow. I'm like, what? Dad, <laughs> come on, like a 1031 exchange. Right. I realized not a lot of people know what this is. So real quick, tell us what it is and then tell us you know, whether you're talking to maybe a realtor or a landlord looking at selling one of their assets, what should they be considering when they're, when they're deciding in their mind, should I do a 1031 exchange? Okay. In the, in the most simplistic terms, let me give you my most yeah. simple description of a 1031 exchange. If I do a sale, I transfer property and I receive back cash. When I do an exchange, I transfer a property held for investment or used in a business, and I receive back other what we call like-kind property, also held for investment or used in a business. So an exchange, you give up property, you receive property back. A sale, you give up property, you get cash back. Mm -hmm. A sale is taxable because you receive money. So all of that capital gain, all of the taxes associated with that are owed if you do a sale. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't know that you've got many levels of taxes, right? You've got depreciation at 25%. So your father who's owned a house, let's say for 20, 25 years, all of that depreciation would have to be recaptured at a rate of 25%. Yeah. Then the remaining federal gain, 15 or 20%, depending upon taxable income. Then your father might face what we call the net investment income tax, 3.8%. Yep. So single filer over 200,000 of net investment income, married finally jointly over 250 and then state taxes which could be zero or if you're in california it could be 13.3 percent so you add up all those four levels of taxes 
that's what you pay in a taxable sale. When you do a 1031 exchange, and I'll just give you the contrast, if you exchange for other like-kind property, all of those taxes are deferred into the future. So you don't pay those taxes now. Um, 1031s, believe it or not, they've been a part of the tax code since 1921. So it's been around for a long time. Almost I think 100 years. Exactly. What are we going to do next year, Scott, for the 100th year anniversary, huh? We, we got plans. The FAA has, has plans for that. We're very sad. We're happy. I love it. You know, you know what's cool about 1031? You know, it's been in through all these different things, right? Boom markets, bus markets, real estate up, down, Republican presidents, Democrat presidents. It's it survived the test of time because at the end of the day, Section 1031, it does a lot of things, but it, it helps people go from one property into a better improving property. It helps businesses expand into other states, right? It, it really helps increase transactional activity. And I, and I love that you brought up your dad. He owns, it sounds like single families is what he owns. Um, yes, uh, it's no, yeah, single family, no duplexes and no okay. fourplexes. So I, I'd say after doing this for, you know, 30 plus years myself, a lot of real estate investors are just like your dad. Yeah. They own one or two or maybe several single family homes. They will never own uh, that big commercial building in downtown Chicago that costs $60 million. But they own a nice portfolio of real estate with a lot of capital gain, right? And, and it's very typical single families, but you hold on to them for 20, 30 years, they go up in value. And, and now they're nice producing investments. Um, that's what a lot of exchange properties are. They're single family homes. It could be maybe rural land. You know, so even though you can exchange commercial real estate, a lot of them are what I call kind of average investors, right? That, that have some single families or maybe they've got smaller, you know, a duplex, but not necessarily big apartment buildings or things like that. So, so I'm, I'm going to ask you for, I'm, this is going to be a training question for a real estate agent. Okay. Let's say, let's say a landlord calls up an agent and they say, Hey, you know, my home's been vacant for two months. I don't want, I'm, I'm, I'm sick and tired of it. I don't, I've owned it for 30 years. Can you help me sell my property? And you know, the listing agent is going to say, or the, 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 the agent's going to, well, let me come over and I'll, I'll run like a market analysis and I'll tell you what it's worth. And you know, they, they, they agree on a price, a listing price. Right. What training would you give the agent to breach the subject of 1031 exchanges? You know, I don't know if agents feel like, oh, if I bring it up, I'm going to lose the deal. You know, I don't want to make this yeah. complicated. Uh, agents don't really have a lot of incentive to bring up 1031 exchanges, right. at, least, at least if they don't know about it. But what is there, how, how should an agent bring up the topic of uh -huh. you know, uh, doing a 1031 exchange with their potential clients? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a one key would be looking at the house. If it's a house and it's not occupied by the owner, right? They don't live there. Then it's prime. It's generally going to be a rental house, right? It, it could be a fix and flip, but let's say most of the time it'll be a rental. Yeah. Um, and then I would ask them. And I, I guess I, I would do is, is ask the owner. So somebody like your dad, yeah. Do you know what a 1031 exchange is? And they'll say yes or no. So that's a question. And then say there's a provision in the tax code that allows anybody holding a property held for investment 
to defer paying capital gain taxes if they're going to exchange for another property. So the next question I think for that realtor that you're talking about would be, when you sell this property, this house, what do you want to do? And if somebody says, oh, I'd like to go buy a larger rental, or maybe I'd like to own two more rentals, Good. to me, that's a really clear cue, right? That yeah. that's a perfect candidate. And, and let me kind of speak to something else you brought up. If it's a, you said maybe the real estate agent wasn't sure, you know, what's in it for them almost, right? It's great for the real estate investor because they can get a better return, right? They can go into a larger property or multiple properties and get a better ROI. It's great for the real estate professional too because they can help them with the sale. They can also work with them on that purchase opportunity. So they got one customer and they make a commission on the sale. They make a commission on the purchase, which generally people go up in value a little bit. So now it's a little larger commission. And lo and behold, guess what? They've got some certain time deadlines to accomplish this, right? They sell. Motivation. They short period of time to identify and close. So now they've got a motivated buyer. So there, there, are, some, there are some good synergies. I think it is a beneficial strategy for the investor. But frankly, it's a great tool for the realtor as well to help their clients defer taxes. And in the process, they're helping that customer get in a better financial position. And they're making a couple of commissions along the way. So I think it's a perfect win-win. Well, this is good. Um, what else? What else, Scott? What else is on your mind? As we wrap up here, what else would you like to talk about? You know, when I, when I think of the FEA and, and what we do, so you know, I, I mentioned that we've got that code of ethics and the benefits. I think something else we do that's valuable mm-hmm. is we spend time educating people in Congress on on real estate and the benefit of a 1031 exchange for helping real estate investors and small businesses. So as an organization, and you and I were chatting before this, you're going to be back at um, some meeting that we have in DC in a couple months. We're going to meet. And and you know, it's, I think that's one of the, the neat things of the organization is that we actually kind of get toe to toe and we get to meet with people in Congress and share personal stories of how 1031 helps create that transactional activity. Yeah. Um, it helps the small farm or ranch owner. It helps a small business owner, the small investor. And that's a fun story to tell, right? It's really great because I think sometimes in Congress, people, they, they can't possibly know all these little niches of the tax code. It's, you know, thousands and thousands of pages thick of tax code, right? But to go back there and to share the story of what it does, how it helps your average investor get into a better position, that's a fun, that's a, that's a fun sh- story to share. And, and frankly, it, it really cuts across. It's not a partisan topic, right? Yeah. We help create jobs. We help stimulate real estate activity. We help somebody like your dad who's built a real estate portfolio for his retirement. Now, he's not dependent on the government. He now has built up his own asset base to provide for his retirement. So we don't have people that are necessarily dependent on the federal government for subsidies down the road because they've been able to build their own real estate portfolio. So I love, I love going back and, and educating people in Congress on that. It's, um, it's, it's one of the, uh, the cool aspects of, of the position is, is just getting them up to speed there. Well, Scott, thank you so much. I feel like across the board, all the QIs that are affiliated with FBA 
I feel like they have one thing in common. They love educating. They just love giving back. They love teaching and training and, and, you know, touting the benefits of a 1031. And that impresses me. You know, I don't, they're, they're not out to make a buck more than they're out to just teach and give. And I think that's inspiring. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting to have you as somebody who's kind of, you know, recently kind of come in and bumped into the FEA. I would tell you, a lot of the people that are at FEA companies, these are people that we've known each other professionally for many years. And I think a lot of them do. They enjoy teaching investors the yeah. benefit. They enjoy maybe teaching CPAs a little bit of the tax side or attorneys that or escrow and closing officers. Um, you know, one thing I want to make sure that, you know, important for people listening to this podcast too, the FEA has a, a website. So you mentioned it, it's yeah. 1031.org. We've got a listing of member companies on there. And that's probably one of the more popular pages that access to find an FEA QI, somebody that's a part of the organization, because not all QIs uh, participate or involve with the FEA. So that's really important distinction that there are some QIs that do QI work, but have no tie-in association. They don't get access. We, we've got all the, the latest tax and legal updates, the court cases. We really, as an organization, keep up with the very latest and make sure all of our members are getting that information. So, you know, just keep that in mind. If you're looking for a QI wherever you are in the country, 1031.org, you can go ahead and you can find a, a member QI. And secondly, you know, speaking to, to you and your organization, you can also find affiliates that work with the FEA and have replacement properties. And so you've got a, a caliber of somebody offering different investments out there that has really made a commitment to the industry, yeah. a commitment to be um, part of the industry and to associate with other professionals. So you can find all that on the FEA website. There's a whole bunch more information there we're we're really trying to bump up the caliber of the site and have even more content about the value of exchanges but um i certainly want to make sure the listeners have have that information as well so cool thank you and scott if someone would like to get a hold of you how can they reach out to you and do you have a you have a phone number email you'd like to share i've got an easy phone number to remember okay. it's 888 Five three one ten thirty one. So that's my that's my phone number eight 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 five three one ten thirty one. In my email is scott at apiexchange.com. So um, yeah, and I'm happy that you know most of the time at QI, we spend a lot of time and we we make money doing a ten thirty one exchange, but I would say seventy eighty percent of our, our time is spent just talking to people about maybe an upcoming transaction. So use a qualified intermediary to get their insights, right? There are a lot of excellent FEA qualified intermediaries all over the country, but I also wanna just be sure to, to let you know, when you do that, also get with your tax advisor to review your specific facts and circumstances, your situation, because it's unique. So we can talk about generally what you can and can't do with 1031, but we may not know your specific situation. So. Be sure you're bringing in your CPA or your real estate or tax attorney, your financial team, your experts in conjunction with the FEA QI you're working with to get some input on what's the best way to proceed. Well, Scott, thank you so much. And to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you. We love your reviews. Go on to, go on to iTunes, share this episode, share it with a landlord 
who may or may not know what a 1031 exchange is and let's help them defer taxes and generate and, and create and preserve their wealth. So thanks again, Scott. And until next time, have a good day.